So we're going to start today by asking you a question. And the question, I just want you to think a minute about a time in your life, a season in your life, maybe when you just felt totally alone. Something was happening in your life that was a struggle, you know, pain, it could be sorrow, it could be discouragement that sets in on you because of things that are going on, health issues or you know, someone passes away or, or financial problems that just keep pressing in. Who knows? I don't know what your situation, but, but if you've been through one of those times, I want you to think just for a minute. Try to bring that back to that situation. Or maybe you're in the middle of that today. And if you are, you're in the right place today because we're going to talk about that. So anyway... Those moments when you just feel all alone, like you feel invisible, you might be in a crowd of people, but even when you're in a crowd of people, you still feel alone. And nobody seems to understand you. You can try to explain it, but they just don't really get it. And sometimes it's so personal that you don't even want to share it with anybody because you know they're not going to get it and they would just make you feel worse. And so... The thing about those kind of seasons in our life, the longer they go on, we even start thinking God doesn't see us, right? We pray and pray and and it feels like God isn't hearing us or if He is, He's not paying attention. And so we can just feel like that God doesn't see us, that God doesn't care. And today our, we're going to start our scripture today. Um, we're going to look at first John or chapter John 1 of regular John. And we're going to look at a story about Nathaniel, which turned out to be one of the disciples. And I think he was in one of those seasons. The scripture doesn't tell us a lot, but um, it tells us enough. I guess we can, at least I'm going to read in between the lines a little bit and assume what he's going through. Yeah, she's got that up there. So John 1, I guess I better find it. John 1, 43, starting in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. We're going to look at today what Jesus said to Philip. I saw you. And when he said, I saw you, Philip's attitude totally changed. Let's start with a word of prayer. Jesus, I just pray that you'll invade this place with your presence this day. Open our hearts, open our minds to your word, to you, what you want to say to us individually and corporately. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, we don't really know what Nathaniel was going through, but 
just a simple statement of Jesus saying, I saw you, totally changed his perspective on what he has gone through. He suddenly goes, why? Well, we don't know what what Nathaniel was doing under that tree or what he was thinking, but based on his response, obviously, my as Pastor puts it, my chosen imagination goes to think he was going through a season of struggle. He didn't know what he, what was happening. Didn't know he's praying about something and he feels alone and nobody cares and he doesn't know what to do. And Jesus comes along and says, I saw you. I know what you were thinking. I know how you feel. I know what you're going through. And suddenly Nathaniel gets a whole different perspective and he says, you're not, not only did you see me, but suddenly his eyes were open to see Jesus and he says, you are the Christ, right? He's the first one to actually scripturally recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He hasn't even barely met him two minutes and already he's recognizing him as the Messiah because of because of Jesus understanding that Jesus saw him. Okay, so the first place in Scripture where we find Jesus being called El Roy or the God who sees him is found in Genesis 16 where Abraham um, and Sarah were trying to have a baby, but they are not having any luck. So Sarah gets this brilliant idea of giving her handmaid to Abraham to have a baby for. Well, we all know that story didn't turn out so well. But as soon as uh, Hagar gets pregnant, then Sarah gets jealous and starts mistreating her, starts treating her really badly. So Sarah don't like, or Hagar doesn't like being treated badly, so she flees into the desert to get away from it because she doesn't want. Well, again, we don't know what all Hagar's going through, what's what she's feeling, but we can imagine a little bit because now she's out in the desert. Maybe she's about to starve to death. Maybe the heat stroke. I don't know what she's going through, but she's emotionally and physically she may be having some major issues out in this desert. And the angel of the Lord comes to her, begins to talk to her, tells her, hey, it's going to be okay. We got this, right? I see you. You're you're going to have a son. It's going to turn out good. And in the process of that, then uh, this is what Hagar, after the angel of the Lord talks to her and tells her, here's what she says. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. El Roy, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have seen the one who sees me. When Hagar recognized that God saw her, not only did she realize that God understood where she was coming from, but suddenly she got an understanding of who God was. She saw that she actually saw the very nature of God. It wasn't just He is a God who sees. He is the God. This is the nature of God. He's El Roy, the God who sees. She recognized him in a new way. And just like Nathaniel and Hagar, Jesus sees us and God sees us in our struggle, in our pain that no one else does. Knowing God sees us may not change our circumstances, but realizing that God sees us and knows our problems that we're facing every day can change our perspective of our problems. 
right? We recognize the it changes our perspective. So the book of Exodus tells us a time in Israel's history when they were slaves in Egypt, being terribly mistreated. They had been going years and years, in fact, literally centuries before they get out of Egypt, that they were slaves and being treated badly. We all know the story. But anyway, when God finally calls Moses, Moses is out in the wilderness too, tending sheep, walking along and there's this burning bush and God begins to talk to Moses from this burning bush. And here's what I suppose I need to... Okay, so um, here's what God says to Moses. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have seen... I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying because of the slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. God told them that I've seen it. I know your misery. I know what you're going through, and I've come down. That's a message we all need to hear today. They had been slaves for a really long time, and I'm sure they felt like by now, you know they've been praying, right, to the people of God, a lot of them at least, and yet God's not answering them. And so they, I'm sure they felt like God didn't see. But just because they didn't feel like it and didn't think that God was paying attention, God was. And when His time came... Then God came down to rescue them. Um, I never know which way to turn this. Okay, Psalms 33:18 says this: "The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love." You may feel like one of the slaves in Egypt that God doesn't see you, and that you're. You know, you can, we can be discouraged and hopeless and feel all alone, but we need to put our hope in Jesus. We need to put our hope in God. And when we do that, this verse here assures us that God's eyes are on us. He, he's, not, he's not oblivious to what we're going through. He sees our misery and He wants to come down and meet you there and will come down and meet you there when we put our hope in Him. When we keep our trust and faith and our eyes on Him, He does see you, and He'll come down. Okay, in uh, 2 Kings 6, we find the king of Aram. Not This is one of those stories, I think Pastor even alluded to the same scripture a few weeks ago. But we don't always know all the details. But the king of Aram was in... in at war with the with Israel, and the interesting thing about the the backstory of the part that we're familiar with is that the king of Aram would set up an ambush against the Israelites, and so, but every time he got an ambush, I'll set it up or is ready to go go at war with Israel. God would see it, tell it to Elisha the prophet. And then Elisha would send a message to the king of Israel and tell him what they were about to do. 
And so then it would get thwarted, and so it didn't do any good. And so the king of Aram would set up another plan, and God would see it, tell it to, or reveal it to Elisha, who would then tell the king of Israel. And so it just this kept happening over and over, and so that none of their plans was working. So you can imagine after a while of that, the king of Aram was getting a little bit ticked off by that, right? None of his plans was working out. And so we pick up this, whoa, how did I get there? I must. Have, we must not have had ones in between, or else I pushed a lot. Is that where we're starting? Okay. This is where we want to be. Okay. Well, I guess I need to get there, though. I know I'm not there. Okay, um, we're at Second Kings Technology. Okay, Second Kings, verse 11 and 12. Okay, so this is happening over and over. The king of Aram is upset because his plans keep getting thwarted, and here's what he said. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officials and demanded them, Tell me which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us is, my lord, king, the king, said one of the officials, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. We see here the plans of the enemy is plotting against God sees the plans the enemy is plotting against us. And he even sees what's going on in the privacy of his own bedroom. God sees it. Right? He thinks nobody else knows, but God sees it. So when the enemy is plotting against us, we can be assured that uh, it's not going over God's head. 13, yep, okay. So the first three, um, let's see. So it goes on. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went out by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up, he went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? Again, the enemy is surrounding. They're attacking. Whenever the enemy is attacking us, no matter what it is, you know, our problems might be, what's the first thing we say? Same thing the servant did. What are we going to do? Right? I mean, that's just typical of what we do because typically we don't know what we're going to be, what to do goes on, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than who, those who are against him. Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Um, we mostly can't, we usually can see what the enemy is doing against us, right? We can see if, whether it's financial, whether it's, you know, again, somebody struggling with health issues, uh, just discouragement on our part, whatever it is, we can see what the enemy's doing against us. But we usually have a hard time seeing what God is doing for us, right? It's more obscured. 
It'll come up eventually, but a lot of times you can't see behind the scenes. Just like Elisha's servant here couldn't really see what God was doing um, behind the scenes. So we need to pray the same thing Elisha prayed, is that God will open our eyes, that we can see what he's doing. Because if we knew what God was doing, right, a lot of times after the fact, we can look back and see all that God did, and it can bring us encouragement later for the next time. But in the midst of it, we have a hard time seeing that. So, again, it's something we can we can pray the same prayer as God open my eyes so I can see what you're doing. Okay. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So after he prayed this, the servant's eyes were opened and he saw what God was doing. He saw all... He saw all the invisible army that God had set up to come and rescue them. Um, when we respond in faith and humility, God gives us the ability to truly see what He's doing. We saw that in Nathaniel. We talked about it a minute ago. When, when he saw that God saw him, he got a brand new revelation that he, this is the Messiah. My goodness. Just because he knew God saw him. He had a new revelation of God. When Hagar could see that she wasn't alone in the desert and nobody cared about her, she got a revelation of who God is. This is El Roy. This is the God. His very nature is he's a God who sees. And so the same thing is true with us when we can see and respond with humility that God sees us and understand with, through faith that God sees us and knows what's going on, um, then it can change our perspective and we get new revelation into who God is. We just sang a minute ago the song about the Waymaker song. Even when I don't see it, He's working. Even when I don't feel it, He's working. He never stops working. That's a the truth in that song that we need to keep inside of us that even though... When our world feels like it's falling apart, God still does see it. And He knows. He's working on our behalf. Okay. Then we go to the next verse. Here's what happens next. Um, six. Then the... Maybe I didn't finish reading that, did I? Did I read that? That the Lord opened the servant's eyes? I guess maybe I did. Okay, verse 18, as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. What happens to the enemy? They, they actually get their sight taken away. Which I found this quite interesting that those who respond correctly to the fact that God sees them, their eyes are open more. Those who didn't, did the king of Aram know God was watching them? He actually did because, remember, he said, who's telling them? And they're like, Elisha the prophet's getting it. And they're telling them. So the whole reason the army was trying to kill Elisha is because they recognized that God was seeing what they were doing and they didn't like it. So they were trying to stop it. So when we recognize that maybe God is watching us, and we respond poorly, they actually had their eyesight taken away. 
which when I realized this, when I was studying this, the verse came to mind of that I never truly understood used to bother me was this verse. Oops, I really am off, am I? No, we're really off. Huh, must have skipped one. Oh well, I'll just read it. Uh, Luke 8.18 says, Consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. That was one of them verses that always sounded weird to me. But in this case, it makes totally sense, right? We might change a little and say, be careful how you see. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have will be taken away, even that which they have. That's kind of what happened here is, so we need to respond to God seeing us. Okay, Matthew 10 tells us, that God sees even the sparrows when they fall to the ground. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground without God seeing it. And so, and it also says in that same passage that He even knows when a hair falls out of your head because He has them all counted. And I, I'm going to pick on myself and Jim both. We make that real easy for God, don't we? Because it's not that many to keep track of. So, But God knows this that intimately, right? That He... He watches us. He sees us. He even knows when our hair is falling out. So, um, we can get, at least I do, I get pretty upset about government corruption and corporate corruption and human trafficking and all that stuff that just seems like goes on and nothing gets done about it. But we can be assured that it doesn't go unnoticed by God. There will be a day. God will have an account. There will be a day that... that that God has an account, and um, so He does see. Okay. okay, Isaiah. I don't think that was there either, was it? Isaiah twenty nine fifteen. Maybe I need Irene to watch. We got twenty nine fifteen. It's not on there either. Okay. Well, we don't want that. Yeah, stay on that one then. Okay, Isaiah 29.15 says, Woe to those who go to great deaths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, Who sees us? Who will know? I'll read that again. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, Who sees us? Who will know? It's amazing to me of how foolish it is to think that we can hide what we do from God. And yet, how many people, and maybe even us sometimes, we think that uh, we can hide from God. The king of Aram, it said that God knew what he was doing even in the privacy of his own bedrooms. And yet, we tend to still try to do that. Um... Which brings us to the next piece about what God sees. And in Second Samuel chapter 11, I'm going to tell you the, tell you part of it before we read, read it. But okay, I've got to find chapter 11 or 12. Anyway, in Second Chapter Samuel, chapter eleven and twelve, it recounts the story of King David, 
And we know King David, right, he started out really well, and he's the giant killer and all that, but in his old age, older age, he started, well, he had a little problem along the way here. But it it recounts in those chapters about David, and when he should have been out, it says in the spring of the year when kings go to war, but David stayed home. So he was neglecting his duties. He wasn't out doing what he was really called to do, what he was supposed to be doing. And because he had stayed home and wasn't doing that, he was out on his rooftop one night and he sees a young lady down taking a bath. And of course, that always sounds weird to me in bath because it's like, how do you see somebody on their roof taking a bath and why are they taking a bath on a roof in the first place? But if you've ever been to Jerusalem and know anything about the city of David... The city of David is built on a steep hill about like that, and the Temple Mound's up here, and then you got the city of David, and you got the Kindred Valley down here. So the whole city is setting on this steep hill. So you think about the palace being up here and the city down below, it makes it a little less weird that this goes, that he happens to be able to see this. But anyway, he sees this young lady taking a bath, and instead of looking away, which he should have been doing, he calls her, has her come brought to him, and commits adultery with her. And a little while later, she reports to him, hey, she's pregnant. And so instead of admitting it and getting forgiveness, what's he try to do? He tries to hide it, right? So he calls the husband home from war, and he thinks, well, you know, if the husband goes be with the wife, if they have a baby, they'll just think it's his. It'll all get covered up. No one's going to know. Well, the husband, Uriah, he's such an honorable man that he doesn't go home. He says, how can I go home and be with the comfort of my wife when the, all my troops are still out fighting the war? So he won't go home. So David's plan of hiding it didn't work out so well. So then he comes up with another plan. So he basically sends a message back with David back to the war, to the general or whoever, anyway, to have this guy killed. And so sure enough, they send Uriah to the front of the front where he is killed in the battle. And so then David can take Bathsheba as his wife. And hey, now it's all okay, right? He thinks he's got it all covered up and no one knows and everything's good. But, of course, you can't hide our sins from God. And so God did know that all this was going on. So did David send, or God sends Nathan the prophet to Daniel to call him out on it. And if you remember the story, Nathan starts telling Daniel, or Daniel, David, this story about this guy that has a whole bunch of sheep. He's got like a thousand sheep. And then his neighbors just got one little pet lamb that he has. But the guy with a thousand sheep, he wants to feed somebody that came in from out of town. And so he goes and takes the lamb from the one guy's little pet lamb and kills it and they eat it for supper. And when David hears that story, then that's where we get to our next scripture there. And it says this in Second Samuel 12. Verse 5 starts out. i got a little more I'm going to read than's up there. It says, David burned with anger against the man. 
and said to Nathanael, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. It's amazing how blind we can be to our own sins, right? I mean, he's telling this parable about David, and yet it's totally oblivious to him until Nathan turns and says to him, David, you are that man. So, um, so David is confronted with his own hidden sins and that he foolishly thought that nobody knew about and that maybe even come to the conclusion it was okay. But God knew it. The good thing, um, the Bible teaches that God not only knows our actions, but also our thought and intention. Scriptures tell us that, that God sees our intentions and our hidden motives. We can't even hide our thoughts from God. So it's not only our actions that we can't hide from God, we can't even hide our, our thoughts. And I guarantee you that there's a very good chance that even in this room there are probably some secrets that no one knows except the individuals in here and God himself, the Elroy, the God who sees. But the good news is that there is forgiveness available for us just like there was for King David. We find King David's repentant prayer in Psalms 51. And if you need to get in any time we're in the situation where we need to do some repenting, uh, Psalm 51 is a good place to go kind of as a template for us to look at a ways to pray. But anyway, we're going to look at just a few of the things that uh, David prayed there in Psalms 51 as part of his repentance. Okay, you can click that on over. Okay, so here's some of what David wrote. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sins are always before you. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Create in me a your heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God knows our sin, but there's always repentance. And as horrible as David's sin was, he started out neglecting his duty, which led to lust, which led to adultery, which led to murder. But even in all of that, God still has forgiveness. And when, when it took... Nathaniel to point it out to him. I mean, uh, Nathan the prophet to point it out to him because he was denying it. But when he was confronted with his sin, he, he repented. And we have that available to us also. God can see our so-called hidden sins. God sees the plots and schemes the enemy is plotting against and God sees the troubles and the heartbreaks that we have. He sees it all. And we're, no matter how invisible or how alone we may feel, God sees it all. 
There's one last thing I want to talk to you about that God sees. He talked about those three things. But the last thing that God sees that I want to talk about is I'm just going to call it the little things that are important to our hearts. God sees those too. That these are things that really, in the big scheme of things, don't matter, but they matter to us. And because they matter to us, um, they're important to God because they're important to our hearts. We can find one of these stories in the Bible in Second Kings chapter 6, amazingly, just before what we read is a time where Elisha was out chopping wood with some friends and the axe, whoops, the axe, the head came off of the axe and fell in the water. And the guy's gone, that wasn't even my axe. It was, I borrowed it. And so God allowed Elisha to make it float. So that's one of them things that seemed pretty unimportant, but it mattered because the guy's like, it wasn't mine. I borrowed it. I don't want to go back and tell this guy. So, but I'm going to tell you a personal story today that is personal to us about a God who sees the, the importance of our hearts. And this story happened, or this happened back in 2017, back when my wife, before she got crippled up, but she had ordered herself a mother's ring, or you might call it a grandmother ring, that at that time we had eight or nine grandchildren, I'm not sure. But anyway, she got this ring. She had it special ordered, and it had all nine of her grandkids' birthstones on it. So, I mean, it was really colorful and pretty because it had all these different colors on there. She had all their names engraved around the outside of it. And so, you know, it was very special to her. She hadn't had it very long. And it was in November of 2017, I had a heart doctor appointment in Rapid City. So we would went up to that, and I went to that, and then afterwards we went shopping. We went to Shopco and Gordman's and Target and went to the mall and went to Herberger's and wherever else in the mall and JCPenney. We would went out to eat somewhere in that day. Anyway, we got home that night, and when we got home, she realized her mother's her grandmother ring was gone. It wasn't on her finger. She had lost it. Well, she kind of started panicking, got pretty upset by that hope. So we started tearing the house apart, right? I looked in the car. We prayed about it. It's like, God, you know where it is. You're the God who sees, right? You know where it is. Help us to find it. We looked. I dug through the car. We looked through all the groceries. She looked through her purse. We looked and looked, you know, after... Yeah, again, we prayed about it to God. We even thought about, you know, we could call up, but where are you going to call? We've been in 50,000 places all over town. So who are you going to call? Somebody found it. They have no way of knowing who it belongs to. doesn't have any names on it. But we didn't know what else to do, but we'd prayed about it. But, you know, after two or three weeks, you kind of go, well, whatever. We didn't really expect to see it again. Anyway... It was middle of December, about three or four weeks later, we went back up to a follow-up doctor appointment. Kind of went through the same routine. Right after appointment, we went shopping around town. The last place we went, just before we was ready to go home, we went into JCPenney. And we step in the door, and my wife says, you need to go see if they have a lost and found, see if they found my ring. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Some of them are just accidentally going to find a ring here, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, maybe I could probably do that. 
didn't do it. I just followed her around. She's shopping, right? Of course, it's really busy. It's right before Christmas. Anyway, we got a couple few minutes, and she said, no, you really need to go ask and see if they found my ring here, see if they have a lost and found. And I'm like, "Mm, okay, whatever. So I said, I'm not doing it. I'm just following you around anyway. So I went and wander off trying to find an office somewhere. Eventually I find one, but nobody in there. Of course, there's a big line of people checking out, so you can't find anybody to ask. So how are you going to ask? Anyway, in that process, but whatever, I end up finding something to buy for somebody for Christmas or something. So I end up in line at the checkout place. When I finally get to the front, I say, you got a lost and found here. We lost, my wife lost a ring a while back. And she just wanted to know if somebody had found it in the lost and found. And she says, I don't know. So, but I'll call. So she calls and the manager or somebody comes out. And, hey, can I help you? And I'm like, well, um, we was here three, four weeks ago. My wife has a, you know, grandmother ring with all these stones on it. And she lost, she just wondered if anybody found it and turned it in or anything. And the guy goes, I remember that ring. I found it just about three or four weeks ago. Of course, my jaw drops about this far. He says, I knew somebody had come looking for it. And I'm like, whatever. Anyway, he goes off to find it. And I'm going, could that really be? Is that really reality that it really could have been? Anyway, he comes, brings it back, and shows it to me. Is this it? Well, yeah, it's got a lot of colors on it. I don't know if it's it. I said, but there's names engraved on it. If it's my wife's, it's got, we got a lot of weird names of our grandchildren that aren't normal. So I said, you know, there's Eden and Acacia and Jasmine. And so the guy starts reading Eden, Acacia, Jasmine. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Anyway, my jaw drops again a little bit further. My eyes are bugging out. And I thank him for you. See, he gives me the ring. And I run off to find Kathy to tell her the good news. Anyway, we had a kind of a worship service pretty much all the way home that day. (laughs) You might have guessed. But... Anyway, all that to say, God didn't forget our prayer and God cared about our hearts. Because why? We'd been all over town. Why, when we stepped into that store, did Kathy say, hey, you need to go ask? Somehow this spirit prompted her to know. And God knew where the ring was all the time. He had saved it. The guy who brought me the ring actually was the guy who had found it, which is bizarre too, right? But God cares. God sees. But God sees all of our heartaches. He sees all of our pain. He sees all those things. But He cares about the little things as well. And so we serve a God who sees. Um, so kind of, in, I guess the worship team can come up if they want. But um, God's, our God is just a God who sees, and it doesn't matter how big or how small, he sees it all. He saw Kathy's heart when she lost a ring and he came down and met her there. God saw me when I was having a heart attack in the middle of a blizzard. <laughs> but he came down and he met me there and, and made it all work out. God saw me when I was committing sins that I thought no one knew about. But God also saw me when I knelt at an altar and repented from my sins and turned my life over to Jesus through the grace and the blood of Jesus. 
He came down and met me there as well. So no matter what your situation is today, no matter how alone and invisible you may feel, no matter what kind of pain and problems you're going through, how much the enemy might be attacking you, God sees it all. And He wants to meet you there. You're, you're, you're not alone. So anyway, I'm going to invite you now to cry out to God. And just, just thank Him. If you're in that situation, just thank Him that He knows you. If you are going through a problem, God wants to meet you there, bring you comfort, bring you peace, bring you forgiveness. And you can just pray from your seat. There's an altar. You can pray alone. Or I guarantee you, Pastor Steve or, or myself would be glad to pray with you. But anyway, we'll just take a minute while they do one last song and uh, just cry out to him if you need to meet with the God he sees. Thank you. I'm just going to take a moment to pray for us. Uh, Father, we come to you this day. And for the one who needs to know that God sees them, where they are right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make it known. God, I ask that they would know that you see. God, for the one that's been hiding. In darkness. Concealing. God, I pray that they would know that you see because they know who Jesus Christ is, the God who will forgive. God, the understanding that, that you see, the understanding that, that you are sovereign, the understanding that, that you are in control in spite of where we are, in spite of what we've done, in spite of, of the loneliness that we feel, that God, you will never leave us or forsake us. That there's nothing, there is nothing that we've done that has separated us from your eyes. you're moving, that you're using, that you're orchestrating all that is. And God, we ask that not only would we, would we know there's a God who sees, but that we would see what you're doing, that you would answer the questions, that you would bring light to the confusion, understanding to what we don't know, because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I say the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you know that he is the God who sees. Amen. Be blessed.